Hi, my name is Margaret. The second Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, which is found in the Pew Bibles on page 1012, or you can follow it on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Margaret. Well, in prayer, we really connect with the heart of God. And so let's pray once again. Engage with God and ask for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come humbly before you in prayer, asking that you would help us to be a prayerful people. We pray, Lord, that you'll make us more so. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been learning about the Lord's Prayer over the last several weeks, and I suspect we're all, many of us, are very familiar with us with this prayer. But the part that I think we're least familiar with is the part we'll be considering today, or at least least familiar with how we go about applying it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I mean, what does that mean? And if we don't pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, what is it that we miss out on? What, what's really at stake if we leave this part out? Well, when our kids were young, we taught them all the Lord's Prayer, so they've all memorized it. And I was wondering just yesterday how they remember this part of the Lord's Prayer, whether they really understood it as little kids. And so I asked our kids and asked them, so do you remember how you understood this part of the Lord's Prayer, what it meant to you? One said, can't really remember, and that's okay. But another one was able to say, well, the evil one, of course, that's Satan, that's the devil. But that's what we teach our children, don't we? That even from a young age, they need to be aware of the spiritual reality that there is, in fact, evil. That there are demonic forces at work in this world. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question and it's, it's an interesting thought to think about. Because to our modern ear, scientific minds, I suspect to our world, they'll be thinking, this sounds a bit too out there, too weird, too strange. What do you mean you believe that there is Satan and the devil and demonic forces at play. Like that sounds a bit too out there. Isn't this the stuff of make-believe? I mean, that's our world. But yet at the same time, you, you look at the type of movies we watch. I checked on village cinemas yesterday, what movies are out there, what the latest showings are. And there are horror movies. Two of them are horror movies. Talk to me, Dracula. Maybe you want to add Barbie to that as well. But, but our world is still fascinated with the spiritual with the spiritual realm, with the spiritual reality. And so thinking about the devil, Satan, demonic forces, it may feel irrelevant in our modern society, but is it? And I wonder whether we feel that way even in our own prayers. And so what does it mean to pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? Well, what it means at least is that we all need to be so consciously aware of the spiritual reality. You see, our lives are not merely physical, as though we just live our lives in Melbourne or wherever that might be. We just live our lives, 
go to work, shopping, and get on with the business of all the physical stuff and the material stuff of this life and not be aware at all of the spiritual reality that is at play. In fact, the Bible is very clear, isn't it? In the age in which we live, in the overlap of the ages, we live not in neutral territory, in fact, but the territory of the enemy. The Bible is absolutely clear. God is real, and so is the devil. And so why do we pray this prayer? Well, let's consider. Well, the first part of this prayer, verse 13, lead us not into temptation. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean we're praying to God to not tempt us? As though God is trying to trip us over and we're praying to God, stop doing that, God. Is that what it means? Well, of course, it can't mean that. And so why do we pray? What does this mean? Lead us not into temptation. You see, for every one of us, every single day, there are numerous decisions and choices we all have to make. In fact, according to a study, on average, we all make, as an adult, about 122 informed choices every day. Stacks of choices. Many of them are, of course, inconsequential. But many of these decisions relate to our character, our morality, our godliness, whether I'll compromise on my principles, whether I'll speak out or remain silent, whether I'll be productive or procrastinate. You see, in any given day, we're all loaded with stacks of choices and decisions. There are so many things that pass our mind. There are things that affect our hearts. There are things that are just in our faces or on the screens and we'll have a million and one ways to be tempted each and every day. I mean, just consider. Should I get angry? Should I let anger control me at this point? Or should I be self-controlled? That's a choice. Should I watch that movie knowing its ratings? Or should I turn the channel? Should I say that little lie no one will know? Or shall I speak the truth even now, even though it, it hurts? Shall I speak out in defense of my colleague? Or should I remain silent in fear of my own reputation? Should I buy and spend compulsively? Or should I be wise and measured in my expenses? Should I be harsh with my words? Or should I be gentle and kind? Should I speak in ways that will tear down to bring down? Will I, my words, will I be considerate and thoughtful how do I speak to build up should I let that person I'm angry with let them know my mind I have a right or should I choose love covers a multitude of sins should I lash out and accuse or should I calmly express how I've been hurt should I continue in bitterness to allow that to fester in my heart or should I be humble? Should I approach humbly? Should I choose to reconcile? Should I maintain that grudge I've been holding for so long? Or should I be like my Lord, ready to forgive? Should I seek my will be done today? Or should I seek, Father, let your will be done today? And recently I heard of one who shared about, you know, just all the bad drivers in Melbourne. And I'm sure many of us experience what road rage looks like. You know, someone swipes in front of you. 
You meet them at the traffic light, and then you're tempted. Do I stare at him and give him the death stare? Or do I just let it be? I mean, there are only about 14 or so decisions, some small, some big, but every single day there's the opportunity. Will I pass or will I fail? Will I please God in this moment, in my thoughts, in my actions, in my words? Or will I fail? Will I fall into temptation and sin? Now what's worth understanding is that at this point, in the Greek, the word temptation is somewhat ambiguous. It can be translated to, to test, or it's a trial, or to tempt. It in fact depends on the context. It's the same word, to tempt and to test. So for example, if we turn to James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. It's the same word, tempt. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. And so what that means is that in every trial we face, every circumstances, every situation, it can be seen as both a test or a temptation. They're, in a sense, two sides of the same coin in every situation. And we know that God doesn't tempt us. He wants us to pass the test so that our character will be built up so that we might persevere in hope or we might be tempted to fall. And so whether a trial is a test or a tempt, it in fact depends on what? It depends on you. It depends on your heart, how you see that trial. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. And so when we face a trial, I mean this is how this prayer is to help us. When we face a crisis, it's common enough that there are crises all the time and in the church our size, I'll hear at least one from within our church family every week. You know, it might be, it's a bad diagnosis, it's cancer. Or it might be, it's bullying at work. Or to another, it might be another setback, a disappointment, a relationship breakup, a rejection. We all face trials all the time. And so what do we do? What does it reveal about our heart? How do we respond? We can pass or we can fail. You see, to fail means uh, I'm, I'm going to be angry at this point. God, you don't love me anymore. I'm angry with you and I'm angry with everyone. Uh, I fall into despair or I just end up hating my life or I fall into self-pity. That is to fail. But yet the same circumstance or the same trial, I could pass the test. How do I do that? Well, that's why Jesus taught us this prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me, Father, so that I won't fall. Lead me so that I will still trust you. It's why the ordering of the Lord's Prayer is so important. How do we begin the Lord's Prayer? We begin with our Father. And so even in the midst of trials and all the testings of life, we remember our Father. We begin our prayer with our Father and we remember our Father. Our Father, lead me. Keep me from sinning. It's, it's in fact something that I've put in place in my own heart when I sort of sense that there is something that is 
pricking at my heart and causing me to go astray, what I always, almost instantly do is I say a quiet prayer. Father, please help me now. Give me the strength. Keep my heart pure. And so every situation, every decision, it's the spiritual reality of life. It can be both a test or a tempt, and it depends on your heart and what it exposes about your heart. Now what happens when we don't pray this prayer and we continue to fall into temptation? What do you think happens to our heart? Well, what happens is it gets more callous. If I say a small lie, what will happen to how I respond next time where there's an opportunity to lie? It'll be easier to lie. I might start just lying to a colleague, but then it'll get easier to lie to a friend or a brother or a parent or a spouse. You see, it gets easier to sin the more we sin. The heart gets more callous. It gets harder and rougher and less responsive. There's an in-joke I have with Yvonne at home. Once in a while, just in case I, I feel like she's not recognizing my manhood and I feel a little insecure, I say to her, do you see how manly these hands are? And that's because on the inside of my palm, I've got these really rough calluses. You only get them if you've got a manly hand. And so that's when I feel insecure. I say, Yvonne, look at this. And she goes to me, you don't do any work. It's not because you work hard. You type at the screen, at the desk. It's because of all your silly exercises, your push-ups and pull-ups. And... But anyway, the, the point of the illustration is you get calluses when you exercise, but of course the heart. The easier it is to fall into sin means that our heart has got more and more callous. We've become so, so insensitive to the things we experience. The heart no longer is sensitive to the guilt and the shame. The conscience is seared and less responsive. And that's what Jesus teaches us to pray this. We have to remember to pray this. Lead us not into temptation. Do not grow a callous heart. Because why? Sin is deadly serious. I mean, breaking the law might send you to prison. Sinning sends you to hell. And for Christians, sinning dishonors your Father in heaven. It makes a mockery of the cross, and it hurts the family. Now, to fall into temptation is only one side of the coin, but there is the other side, to pass the test. And so instead of allowing my heart to grow more callous, if I pass the test, I get stronger, and the sin gets smaller. The nature of sin is that the more you resist it, the stronger you get, and the weaker the pull of the sin becomes. So the more you resist it, the weaker the pull of sin becomes. There's this illustration I use in, in my pastoral care, and you may have heard me share this. It's an illustration I use particularly with those young men who struggle with pornography, and you can really apply it with any temptation. Have you heard this illustration? It's about the road with the hole in it. A road and there's a hole. And so there's a hole in the road. The first day you go down that road, you see the hole. It looks a bit fascinating, so you walk up close and you try to just walk along the side, but you slip and you fall in. The next day, you feel a bit bad. You shouldn't have fallen in. 
But you go down that same road, you see, see the hole is still there, hasn't gone away. But today you think, well, I'm just going to try to walk and skirt around the edge. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I won't fall in. But you get too close and you fall in again. But then the next day, now you're, you're feeling very guilty and shameful. And you think, well, I'm strong enough. Today what I'll do is, I see the hole is still there. But I'm going to jump it today. And so you go up, you jump, but you fall in again. And then the next day, you see that the road with the hole is still there. But then you notice there's, in fact, another road without a hole. And you choose that path. You see, that other road is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians, he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We're praying, Father, show us the other road. And God responds, there is another way. There's always another way. You don't have to take that same path. You don't have to be trapped. And the more we go down the other road, the smaller the hole becomes. And the smaller and the weaker the pool of sin becomes. And you get stronger. You see, what we face in life, we all face trials. Different circumstances, there will be ups and downs. But the trials, we can face it in two ways. We can pass or fail. You see, when we pass, it's a bit like gold being refined in the furnace. What happens when gold is refined in the furnace? It gets more pure. Or it's a bit like a, a lump of coal under all the pressure of rock and earth for thousands of years. When you're under that pressure, what happens? Well, you turn into a diamond. You see, test comes for our good. There's always temptation that we must flee. And so every situation, many decisions, same trial, flip the coin. Which will you choose, to be tested or tempted? And if our prayer is, lead us not into temptation, we can then rely on our Father, we can pass this test. But now do you notice how Jesus continues that prayer? It's connected. The next part, but deliver us from the evil one. So what's going on here? Well, it's connected to the previous part of the prayer. When we are under pressure, under stress, under trial, when we face a crisis, when we experience pain, the real enemy in our life is not the situation that we're in. It might be painful, debilitating, but that's not the enemy. The trial is not the enemy. The enemy is, in fact, the devil and what he will do in that trial. I mean, he works cunningly, and he's very subtle. You see, the enemy, it's like what we read in our first reading. He shoots flaming arrows, arrows of doubt. They'll cause you to turn away, to stumble, to fall. And so, for example, I mean, you, you've fallen sick. You heard that diagnosis from the doctor. It's an incurable disease. I think that shows God doesn't really care for you, doesn't really love you. Where does that come from? It's a flaming arrow from the devil. You've been working so hard for the family. Your, your wife doesn't really appreciate you, but there, there's that lady at work. She appreciates you. She's asked you out for a drink. Well, why not? It's just a drink, just being friendly. 
It's a flaming arrow. It's a seed of seduction. I mean, you were in the right in that situation, in that conflict. You were misrepresented. You were right to show your anger. They needed to have a piece of you. I mean, where does that come from, that, that seed of discord? Or who cares if, if that person asks for forgiveness? I mean, you can never forgive that person. They hurt you so deeply, you need to stand your ground. Where does that come from? The enemy is the devil. Or how can you continue to serve so much at home in church? No one sees you. No one appreciates you. I mean, God's blessing seems to go to others and not you. You know, just, just give up. Take a break from church. Where does it come from? You see, it's not the situation that is the enemy. The enemy is the devil and what he'll do in that situation. He schemes. He plots. He works deceptively to bring down the people of God. And he'll even attempt, if he can, rip us out from the hands of God. I mean, that's how the devil works. Billy Sunday, uh, an American evangelist, he, he once said, Temptation is the devil looking through the keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and inviting him in. You see, he's always looking. He's always waiting. And the temptation is, will you open the door? And so that's why Jesus teaches us, deliver us from the evil one. It's to remind us, our big enemy, it's not the pain, the trial, the situation, but it is the devil. The devil is the great enemy. It is Satan himself. Now the word, sometimes we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, deliver us from evil. And sometimes we pray, deliver us from the evil one. You notice that difference? Different Bible translations and so forth. Well, in a sense, the meaning is the same. Because who's the father of lies, the prince of this world? The one who is the murderer, the accuser, the one who has the power over death, the one who blinds the world, the one who opposes God's ways. Who is personified as evil? It is the devil himself. And so this might be, you know, in the ears and the eyes and the thoughts of our world seems a bit too out there, too far-fetched. You know, is this all make-believe? But as Christians, we have to take this prayer seriously. The life in which we live, there is the spiritual reality. The devil is working. But now let me ask you, if that is what we're up against, what hope do we have? What powers do we have to go up against demonic forces? I mean, the devil even dares to bring the fight up against God himself in the heavenly realms. Wasn't that what we read in our first reading in Ephesians? For our struggle. You know, our struggle is not against the government. Our struggle is not against the pain I'm feeling. Our struggle here is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of, the, of evil in the heavenly realms. I mean, the devil dares to bring the fight even up to God himself. That is who we're up against. And yet at the same time, he's cunning and deceptive. Peter says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Which means he's not resting. He's crouching low. The picture is like he's laying low, just waiting waiting for that opportune time to jump out, to pounce, to attack. And he'll do so subtly, cunningly, 
deceptively. And when do you think the devil works best? It's when we're most tired, when we're weakest. We all have different propensities to sin, and he will know that. For some of us, it will be lust, and so he'll tempt you in that way. He'll know you're, you're tired, you're overworked, and you're late at night, the screen is on. He'll tempt, he'll use that. For some of us, it might be our temper. We, we find it hard to keep our temper down, and that's where we fall easily. We, he'll know our pressure points, and he'll know how to trigger that so that we'll blow up. For some of us, it is greed where we fail. Well, for the devil, that's easy. Do you know why? Because greed, you can just keep it a secret. He'll use that secrecy. You see, if that is who we're up against, what hope do we have? What hope do you have to fight the devil? Well, that's why Jesus taught us this prayer. We cannot leave out this prayer in our own prayers. We can't do it alone. Deliver us from the evil one. We need God's power. We need God's deliverance. Save us, Father, from the jaws of the evil one. Keep us close to you before he snaps and takes us away. That's why we need to pray this prayer. You see, even for the Apostle Peter, do you remember the story about what Jesus said about what he prayed for Peter? The Apostle Peter was warned about how he would deny Jesus. But listen to what Jesus said about what he prayed for him. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. If the Apostle Peter needed such prayers, how much more do we? And so what do we pray? We remember in our prayers. I suspect this is the forgotten part of our prayers. Deliver us from the evil one. Now at this point, it's probably worth noting, you know, the stuff of horror movies and the exorcist type stuff. Well, what do I have to say about that? Well, demonic possession and oppression it's real the occult it's real and my counsel is be very careful to dabble in anything you do not know in fact flee away from it horoscopes mindless meditation fortune telling yoga flee the devil will use whatever he can to wreak havoc upon the people of God. So don't dabble. And so we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Our enemy is real. It is the devil. And we need God's help. So that's the Lord's Prayer. We've considered over three weeks. But what do we miss if we do not pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? You see, I think it's the part we easily forget. And if we easily forget this, we forget that we are in a spiritual battle, that a spiritual war is raging. I mean, how can we live our lives? It, it's so easy to just get on with life, unaware of the spiritual battle that is raging every day, every week, every year. And what do you think are the consequences if we forget that the devil roams around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us? If he's peeking through the, the keyhole, hoping that we would open the door, what, what would happen if we forget this? Well, if, it, if it's forgotten and if it goes unchecked, he'll wreak havoc upon our lives and even the life of the church. 
It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who was very helpful in reminding the church. He said this, I'm certain that, the, that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. He's the adversary, and he's powerful. He'll work deceptively, infiltrating wherever the door is open. And so let me ask you then, what confidence do we have to fight? What confidence do we have to pray a prayer like this? Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, the confidence is the gospel. It all comes back to the gospel. I'm not sure if you noticed, but every single week we've come back to the gospel. How is it that we can pray our fathers because of Jesus? How is it we can pray forgive us our sins? It's because of Jesus. How can we pray this, deliver us from the evil one? It's because of Jesus. It always comes back to the gospel. You see, why do we have confidence? It's because of what Jesus did. He faced the devil face to face. He was tempted many, many times, but he passed every single time. He overcame it all. But he also went into the fiery furnace. He even experienced hell on the cross. He went in, he fought, he even died. And when Jesus died, what do you think the demonic forces, the, the spiritual realm, what were they thinking? They were thinking, we won. The Son of God has died. But then what happened? Jesus came out the victor, defeating death in his own death, vanquishing the enemy, winning the war. The war has been won against the devil. That's why we can have confidence to pray this prayer. It's not as though when we pray we're unsure. Will good win? Will evil win? Will God win this time or will Satan take the crown? Will Jesus be the victor at all? But we can know because the war has been won. The cross was God's display to this world. The devil has been defeated. But even though the devil has been defeated, doesn't mean the battle is over. Well, far from it. The fighting has not ceased. I mean, the devil, he's shooting those flaming darts all the time. He's still fighting. He's not surrendering. Skirmishes are still ongoing. The, the, the battle is still fighting. It's a bit like what happened... After World War II. World War II, when did that end? It ended in 1945. But for one Japanese soldier, Hiro Onoda, the war didn't end for him until 1974, 29 years after the end of World War II. Lieutenant Onoda, he kept on fighting in the jungles of the Philippines. I mean, he couldn't believe that the Japanese lost the war, so he kept on fighting and fighting and fighting. But there was no way he could win at all because the war was finished. The war was won already in 1945. And likewise, even though the war has been won by Jesus on the cross, the devil, he'll continue to fight. He will not concede defeat. Rather, knowing his time is short, he's more angry and furious than ever. He's venting his anger at who? At us, at the people of God. And these skirmishes will continue to happen until Jesus returns. But until then, even though there's no ceasefire, that's why we pray. 
deliver us from the evil one. That's the part of the Lord's Prayer we cannot leave out. And so what have we learned from the Lord's Prayer over these few weeks? So to sum up, how will it shape your own prayers? Allow the Lord's Prayer to shape your own prayers. Each time we come, how do we come? We come as children running into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. What should be our first desire? Not ours, but His name, His kingdom, His will. And when we pray that prayer, remember, remember to be uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable because if God's will is done, it will be uncomfortable for us. And what do we ask? Well, when we ask, we're not asking for me, but us. Give us our daily bread. And also remember, our prayers reflect whether we believe a big God or a small God. Are our prayers big? Are our prayers beyond what we can do? I mean, before our elders encourage us to pray about the third service, that is beyond what we can do. But will we pray it? When we ask for forgiveness, remember that. We we need to be specific about our sins. Name them. Be specific, not generic in our confessions. And when we depend on God to lead us from temptation and to deliver us, we remember there's a spiritual battle raging. But the war has been won. And so the final encouragement from this series as we end. For some of us, I think we need a a big encouragement. We may not be praying enough. We feel that sense of guilt and prayerlessness. Well, let's change. And how can you change? Plan to pray. Often we don't pray because we don't plan to pray. Plan to pray. Have a plan on what you will pray as well. Different days of the week. Plan to pray. And what else do we do? We pray until we pray, what the Puritan says. Just keep on praying. Billy Sunday, I'll end with this. He said, If you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. And so, my final exhortation, let us be a church who are no strangers to prayer. And what good way to end this series but to pray the Lord's Prayer together. The children did that. Let's do that now. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.